Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Good morning, Bergen Park Church. All right, today we're in Ephesians 4. We're continuing Jonah's... uh, series on Ephesians, so it's my pleasure to be with you today. We'll see how tall this thing will go. Pretty good. All right. Uh, I think most of you know me probably. We've been here. uh, We moved to Evergreen in the summer of 2020 after 10 years serving the Lord in China, and uh, this has been a wonderful church home for us, and it's a wonderful opportunity to share the word with you today. I'm just going to start, even though I just got prayed for wonderfully, I like to pray as I start. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the great message uh, that we had about Mexico and the work you're doing there, Lord. We pray that you would do likewise here in our midst, Lord. We are your hands and your feet. We are your ambassadors. Bless us as we hear your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm just going to read through the passage uh, first, Ephesians 4. 17 to 24. I'm reading the ESV, which I think is what you have in your pew Bibles there. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In the bulletin, we have, there's an outline there. If you don't have one and would like an outline, don't be bashful about heading over there. I think on the table there's some more. But I I have a little opening statement there that I think summarizes what this passage is about today, and I'm just going to read that. While our faith and our salvation are based on grace, not works, how we walk and what we do matters. This does impact our experience with Jesus and the power of our witness and the life of Christ in us. Do you want more of Christ's power in your life? I do. I think everybody here does. Paul has some good counsel for us in today's text. So this is one of those texts, you know, that I think is very practical. It tells us what we can do to live for Christ. All of us fall short. The Bible tells us that. Um, All of us are here today because we've made a commitment to walk with Jesus. We want to be better people. And I think that's the goal of just about every religion, is how can I improve my lot in life? How can I be a better person? How can I find satisfaction? And as Christians, we've made a commitment to Christ that that is the way. And so this is really what this passage is about. Very practical counsel about how to live as Christians, how to let the rubber meet the road, how to actually put into practice what we've made a commitment to as Christians, but how to actually do that. So... um, Let's just go through this verse by verse and see what the Lord has, us, has for us today through Paul's words. So verse 17 says, 
We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. All right, that's sort of Christianity 101. There should be some difference between us and the world. Um, You know, some of us have very gentle personalities, and Christ just emanates out of them. Others, probably like Paul. I think Paul was sort of a, probably kind of a feisty, abrasive kind of personality. He was a very strong person. Um, you know, I, I think about my wife's father, who we've been praying for for many years, who's never come to know the Lord. He's a very, very gentle spirit. And sometimes I feel like he's a better Christian than me. <laughs> but what I can say is where I was before I knew Christ and where I am now, there's a big difference. And I always think if he gets saved, he's going to take that gentle spirit and it's going to be transformed into something even more amazing. So where we were and where we can be in Christ, that's where the change is. You can't always compare a given person who knows the Lord to a given person in the world because we're all different, right? But there should be a difference. We are not to walk like the Gentiles, or maybe more importantly for each of us, where we were before new Christ, we should be moving on from there. We should go, be going to a higher plane in our walk with Christ. Verse 18 and 19 tells us why. I guess it's kind of obvious why we shouldn't live like the Gentiles. But let's read what Paul says here. They, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we talk about those folks in the world, the people who don't know Jesus, and we do that us and them thing, and we talk about them, they're evil, they're bad, they're against everything we stand for. But we have to remember, that's where we were. We were like them before we knew Christ. We should pity them not demonize them. Satan wants to demonize them. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make his claim on them. He wants to have title to them. He wants to have them for eternity down there in the pit, which is where they will go without Christ. But such is true of us too, if we're not for Christ. You remember the famous saying of Martin Luther, uh, who was standing in the town I don't remember which town it was, but he saw a chain gang, you know, kind of the, the guys with the, the gallows on their, not the gallows, the, uh, the yoke on their back. They were being taken to the city center to be put in the stockade, and that was the punishment so that everybody would go by would say, oh, he's a criminal. Look, he's there in the stockade. And Martin Luther said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Little King James English. In other words, if if it wasn't for Christ in me, I'd be there with them. I'd be in that stockade. And that's really good theology. That's really true. They are alienated from God. And Romans 1 really takes it into a little bit more detail. Romans 1, 18 to 32 tells us about what happens to a life that is unredeemed. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
resembling mortal man and his birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So in other words, they did not know the truth. They went deeper into the flesh, into the carnal sort of life. And as they got further from God, their hearts became calloused. You know, like you get on the bottom of your foot. Uh, It's actually a protection. The callus actually protects the soft flesh of the foot against the hardness of the stones and the rocks. And that's what sin does. It It becomes a barrier between us and God. And after a while, you don't feel the rocks anymore. You don't feel this, the effects of the sin because you've become spiritually dead. And that's what happens to the people who have turned away and have walked in the flesh. So verse 20 tells us this is not the way. Do we have any Mandalorian fans here? This is the way, right? I'm, I'm a little channeling a little Mandalorian here. So Paul tells us in verse 20, this is not the way. And then he tells us in verse 22 and 23 and on, this is the way, walk in this way. So verse 20 tells us, that is not the way you learn Christ. Okay? What he just described in verse 19, they've become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. If we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us probably could have been described by those words in verse 19. But we know that Christ took us to a better place. We've lived in a higher plane once we've come to know Christ. And Paul's saying, looking back at that that pattern in verse 19 and what I read in Romans 1, that is not the way you learn Christ. It's interesting the way it's phrased here. So it says, that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not just learning about Christ. That's good. I mean, some people have just heard Christ. I mean, we've met people in China who've never even heard of Christ, which is kind of hard to believe considering we live in the 21st century and the word AD, we're in 2022 AD, Anno Domini, you've never, you don't know what Domini means, maybe they don't even know who God is, who Christ is. I think for all of us, if you grew up in America, you've heard of Jesus Christ at least as a curse, if nothing else, when somebody drops something on their toe, that word will come out, unfortunately. Um, but learning about Christ is one thing. Knowing him, learning him is another thing. It's sort of like learning about driving, Maybe you watched a movie, Driving Miss Daisy, whatever it was, you saw a movie, and uh, you know about driving, but do you know how to drive? Do you know driving? Do you know it personally? You could know about a person, do you know that person personally? So knowing about Jesus is good, but knowing him is better, and that's what's needed in this case. So Paul is saying, you have learned Christ, you have, like learning driving, you've come to know him intimately, And that's what our goal is here. And when you know him intimately, something changes inside of us. You agree with that? Jesus changes us. The Holy Spirit comes in. He gives us new eyes to see the world. We look out at the world and we see things differently than we did before. And if you haven't experienced that, I'd challenge you. I'd I'd say, do you really know him? Because if, if you come to know him and he comes into your life, you change. Your values change. What's important to you changes. So Paul is painting this picture of the old self, the old life, and he's saying we leave that behind in this passage here. 
Verse 21 talks, us, talks to us about what is the way. As our Mandalorian Fred would say, that's a Star Wars Disney Plus thing, if you've never heard of that before. Um, the Mandalorians like to say, this is the way. You know, whenever they try to say, this is why we do it this way, because this is the way. Well, it's, it's a little bit like Christianity, if you think about it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the way. He's literally the way as you walk, you could follow him. He's also the way, you know, he could say, this is the path. You go that way, that is the way. But he's also the way because through his body, through his blood, he laid down his life. And what he did opens a door, which literally is the way also to eternity, to salvation. This is the way, verse 21 says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he's saying this is not the way in verse 20. Verse 21, he's saying this is the way. The truth is in Jesus. But notice the first part of verse 21, he says, assuming that you have heard about him. And I think that's actually an important little asterisk there. We can't take for granted if, if, if there's a pattern in someone's life where they're not walking with Christ, where, where the fruit of their life is not consistent with the fruit of the Spirit, it could be that they're backsliding. It could be that they're stumbling. That happens to all of us sometime in our lives. But it could be that they actually never knew him. I grew up in the church. I grew up in kind of a liberal mainline denomination. I got a lot of Sunday school. But I don't remember anybody challenging me you know, you must be born again. You must make a decision today to follow Jesus yourself. I had a, an elder at a church I used to go to in Denver. Uh, he was about 80 years old when I knew him. And he would always say, God has no grandchildren. God only has children. So your parents may be walking with Jesus. You may have gone through youth ministry, YWAM, Sunday school, all of that. That's good. But you have to take ownership of your walk with Jesus. Each of us does. I grew up in the church, and I was quite a party animal in high school. And I didn't see any contradiction because that new life was not really in me. I was a monotheist, but I was not yet a Christian. It was after I graduated from college that I found Christ. My life changed, and the partying stopped. Not because anybody told me, oh, you can't party if you're a Christian, Greg. That should have been obvious, but... It's just because I just didn't want it anymore. I didn't need it anymore. I found what I was looking for, and it wasn't in the bar. It wasn't partying. And so Paul is just saying, we, assuming you have heard of him, then you know what I'm saying. If you haven't really received Jesus, well, that's where we have to start. So that's an important point that Paul makes right there. The truth is in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus says he is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way. Verse 22, he continues, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. I'm kind of nostalgic. I don't know about you. When I get older, I I think a lot about my childhood. My my father passed away about a year and a half ago, and... uh, you know, last summer we went on a camping trip and I was thinking a lot about my dad because he took us camping and he was no longer with me. And nostalgia can be kind of good. How about those old songs? Sometimes you listen to those old songs, bring back good memories. But there was also some old songs, maybe for me, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, 
Well, that wasn't very spirit-driven, that kind of stuff. There's some nostalgia that it's, it's okay just to leave it behind. And I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you know, there were some things that you had. There was some fun you had, maybe that wasn't very sanctified kind of fun. Don't be nostalgic for that kind of stuff. I think the enemy wants to get you to look back, kind of like Lot's wife who looked back and became a pillar of salt. That kind of looking back is not helpful. Yeah, I used to party, used to hang out, you know, at Little Bear. I actually did that when I was a young man. Uh, That was not a good scene. I'm lucky to be alive. Uh, Driving home from Little Bear a few times from Denver. Um, I thank God that I'm still here standing before you today. And I think the reason I'm standing here is because God knew that I would be standing here someday. So the angels were making sure my car stayed on 285 and didn't go off the edge. I didn't remember driving home that night. Um, so it's only the good of God that allows me to stand before you today. That kind of nostalgia, that kind of remembrance is not helpful. Put off the old self. Leave that stuff behind. If you're holding on to any of that, let go. Let go. It's going to hold you back. And Paul tells us, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That is corruption. That is not going to help you to grow. That's only going to be holding you back. Instead, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So verse 22, confess your sins, your failed path, leave it behind, repent, turn away, embrace the way, Jesus. And then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It says be renewed as if it's something you do. I think what it means is put yourself in a place where you can be renewed. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. The Holy Spirit comes in, sanctifies your soul and your mind and cleans it up and changes the way you think, changes the way you see the world. If you remember Psalm 51, the story of David and Bathsheba, remember that Nathan called him out, you are the man. And then David confesses his sin, what he did with Bathsheba, and to her husband, and he writes, as a result of that, he writes Psalm 51. It's a confession of sin. I won't read the whole thing to you, but it's powerful. I encourage you to read it uh, when you have some time. But the key verse, I think, is verse 10, Psalm 51.10. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God gives us a right spirit when we step into the light, when we confess our sins and leave behind the old and we put on the new, We receive Christ, as David rightly says, renew a right spirit within me. So we get a right spirit in Christ when we receive him. But in the world, we stumble sometimes, we drift, we let ourselves get a little bit out of fellowship with the Lord, and then sometimes we mess up, as David did. But then we repent, we come back, renew that spirit within me, Lord, not just any spirit. Renew a right spirit within me. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 3. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so when Christ comes in, he really changes the way we think. I mean, he did for me. In the old way that I used to walk, I just didn't want to do that anymore. It just didn't seem, it, saw, it seemed stupid what I was doing before. And, and as Christ gave me new eyes to see the world, I just thought to myself, what was I thinking? Why was that so cool? Why did I think that was so valuable? Because now, what I thought 
was great, now I see as complete folly and idiocy, and I leave it behind and I reject it. And that's what happens when you walk with Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's where hope is. That's where change is. That's where lives are resurrected. You know, like the man uh, that we heard about this morning, I'm forgetting his man, that very grizzled-looking man who was, you know, a gang man, a hit man. And then, little by little, God breaks through that crust, that crustiness, and he becomes a new creation. Only God can do that. You know, no two-step program or 12-step pro. Those are all good, but, you know, in the end, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can melt a heart, that can change a heart, and that can bring someone back to his true self or her true self, which is that fellowship, that child relationship with the Father of all. So finally, in verse 24, Paul says, So verse 23, let's connect them because it is one sentence really. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So put on the new self. So there's something that you have to do. Jesus saves your soul. You have to make a decision. Um, You know, self-determination is true, but God's sovereignty is also true. God wills that you are saved, but he doesn't force himself on you. He's a gentleman. He gives you a chance to walk away. Just as he told Adam and Eve, don't eat that fruit. But he didn't stand around with a billy club and make sure they didn't eat that fruit. He said, that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what's right. And then God wandered in the garden, enjoying his creation. And then, of course, what did they do? They did like we would do. They, they said, hey, that's looking pretty good. Let's take a little bit of that. Even though he told us not to do that. But it's probably not so bad. They listened to the wrong voice and they did the wrong thing and we're all suffering for it to this day. But thanks be to God, there's hope in Christ and he has shown us a better way, the way to walk. And so we have to make a decision really daily to put on Christ, to put on the new self, as Paul says here, to not go back and grovel in the mud like the pig. You know that scripture? A dog returns to its vomit, the pig returns to the mud. That, we do that, don't we? I mean, it, maybe not every day, but there's days when you're really tired and you're really stressed out or life, something went bad and you sort of tell yourself, I need a little medication. And the world will tell you that's okay, you know. Um, but that really isn't going to help. That's really not going to solve your problem. Sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary did, you know, the Mary and Martha story, sitting at the feet of Jesus, that's where you're going to get restoration, where you're going to feel good again, where you're going to feel re-energized. So Paul's just telling us, put on the new self. Don't go back to the old self. And that new self is created after the life of God in true righteousness and holiness. That new self that we put on is the decision to just choose the right thing. Remember those little bracelets, WWJD? They're kind of corny now, but, you know, it's kind of a good thing still. So here I am in this situation. I'm at a fork in the road. What would Jesus do? It's good to ask yourself that question because, you know, putting on that new self, choosing the the way that Jesus would go, that is the healthy way to look at things so that you don't have to regret it the next day. You don't have to go back and apologize to six people because you were saying really stupid things that you now feel embarrassed about. God will help you with that. He'll save you from that. If you find your your energy, find your satisfaction, find your peace in Christ by walking with him and putting that on. So 
just to conclude here, just notice the order here in this passage. So first, put off the old. Second, allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Allow that process to take place. And third, put on that new self at the start of your walk with Christ and then on a daily basis. To be just in the morning you get up, you put on your clothes every day. In the same way, put on Christ every day. I'd really encourage you to get in the word every morning. For me, that's what works best. That's what Jesus did. He stole away to a quiet place and he met with his father. If Jesus needed to do that, I think you and I need it even more. And that is where hope comes. That's where change comes. So our job and Christ's commitment are laid out here for us. So ultimately the work is God's. Only he can do it. But we have to do our part. He doesn't force us to do this stuff. We have to say, you know, I'm done with this. You lay it down. And then the Holy Spirit begins to come in and change you from the inside out. Through, your, through the word, through hearing the word, through obedience. And then you have to decide daily to put on Christ. To walk in that new man, that new person. And when that process kicks in, Satan grimaces because he knows he's on the losing side of that moment of that life. And then we can truly become that great verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you've put on the new Christ. You've put on the new life. You've put, it on, put on the new self and the Holy Spirit's working on you. And then that becomes true. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think that's what we all strive for. That's what we all hope for. And Paul's just telling us, here it is. Do you trust me? Walk it out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through by me. Let me just close in a prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's faithfulness. You took a very proud, very intelligent, very feisty man who was so committed to his doctrine and his religion and his law that he was willing to kill those who went against what he thought was right. And then you changed him. You knocked him off a horse. You shined light in his face. You blinded him. Then you restored his sight. And when he saw again, he saw the world differently, Lord. In a way, you do that for each one of us as we walk with Jesus You have to knock us off our horse, Lord. You have to knock us off our pedestal, our pride. You have to take away. And then you give us a new spirit, a new mind, new eyes to see. Lord, have your way in each one of us here this morning. May we leave here changed, and may we go out and change the world in Jesus' name. For your glory and our good, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.